0: How are you doing today? Yeah, you awake and ready? Back in the school grind a little bit and uh, getting going. I want to talk today about the future a little bit. You know, I think we're kind of in unprecedented times in some ways uh, as a nation together and trying to figure out all of this stuff. I mean, how do we go forward into the future as community of faith? And what if it's a, a tough future? We don't know what it holds. What are we going to do? I read uh, not long ago about a British yachtsman, his name was Tony Bollinger, and he was yachting in the Antarctic uh, Sea there, and his yacht split in half and sank, and they knew kind of where he was, so the, the rescue team was out trying to find him. It took them five days to find the yacht on the bottom of the ocean, and they sent a diver down there, and he... Tapped on the hull, and miraculously, a tap came back from inside this overturned yacht on the bottom. Tony Bollinger had been in there for five days in pitch blackness in the Arctic, Antarctic Sea, and uh, he was alive. It was a, a miracle. They got him out, got him to the top. He was frostbitten, uh, you know, and, and, and had some other issues, of course, but, but he made it. They asked him, what did you do? How did you survive five days in pitch blackness at the bottom of the icy seas? He said, I prayed like crazy and ate chocolate. (laughs) So that's my sermon. That's it. (laughs) I think face the future, get a lot of chocolate, pray like crazy, you know, no, really, you know, we think about things right now. Have you noticed if, if you watch any of the news stuff or even if you're on social media sometimes all the talking heads are are saying recession 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 have you noticed that I mean just 10 years ago we came out came out of what historians are now calling the great recession right and now they're talking about something I'm going really is this is this really going to happen you know and and whatever the future holds you can think about it it's pretty much fundamentally changed in even just the last 10 years Think about it. We've got our first reality show president, right? And and that's never happened before. I'm thinking ten years from now, who's going to be president? You know, if, if Trump wins reelection, who's going to be the next one? I'm thinking Kanye. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> Maybe Kim. You know, I know I know Dwayne the Rock Johnson is, uh, you know, wanting to step into politics. I'm thinking Maui for president. You know, and just but we don't know what's going to happen. You know, what does the next 10 years hold? Over the next 10 years, some of you will be getting married and having family. Some of you will be empty nesters in 10 years. I mean, that's kind of crazy to think about, isn't it? If you have an eight year old, they'll be graduating from high school in 10 years. Are you excited about the future? You know, some of you, you're gonna be retiring and you've got this plan to retire. Hopefully that will work out, you know, in 10 years. How do you feel? Are you scared? See, I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future, right? And I wanna talk to you a little bit about kind of God's plan, his game plan for the future, God's survival kit for whatever the future holds. So pull out your sermon notes for just a few minutes. The first thing I think that God really wants us to have is an accurate reality map. An accurate map of reality. Scott Peck, who is a psychiatrist, um, he has a whole book called The Road Less Traveled. It's just a secular book. But he talks a lot about our reality maps. He says, let me just read you a little bit. Our view of reality is like a map with which to negotiate the terrain of life. If the map is true and accurate, we will generally know where we are, and if we've decided where we want to go, we will generally know how to get there. If the map is false and inaccurate, we generally will be lost. While this is obvious, it's something that most people, to a greater or lesser degree, choose to ignore. They ignore it because our route to reality is not easy. First of all, we're not born with maps. We have to make them. And the making requires effort. The more effort we make to appreciate and perceive reality, the larger and more accurate our maps will be. But many don't want to make that effort. Some stop making it by the end of adolescence. Their maps are small and sketchy. By the end of middle age, most people have given up their map-making effort. They feel certain that their maps are complete. Their worldview is correct, even sacred, and they're no longer interested in new information. It's as if they're tired. Only a relative and fortunate few continue until the moment of death. Exploring the mystery of reality. Ever enlarging and refining and redefining their understanding of the world. And what is true. That's very interesting isn't it? You know, and so basically what Peck goes on to say is that this map of reality. There's an absolute reality out there. We've got to figure out what that is. And the closer we can get to it, the better our life is going to be, the more sense it's going to make. And the further we get away from it, you know, it's going to mess us up. And he said, mental health is having an accurate reality map. In fact, psychosis is getting further and further. If your map is further and further off until finally schizophrenia or, or something like that would be like hearing voices in a whole nother world in your head, you know? So... What do we do? we How do we get a, a, a good map? How do, we, how do we do this? He said you have to have a total dedication to the truth. And that's a hard thing to do sometimes because <clears throat> sometimes truth is difficult. But Jesus said it always sets you free if you know the truth. I think the best way to get a good map is to get to know the maker of the terrain of the map that you're making, right? <laughs> so you think about it. You're making a map, but God made what you're mapping. He made reality. And, and so it's, it's good to hear what he has to say. So let's look at a, a few of his principles. One of his great gifts to us is a couple of verses out of Proverbs. The wisest man who ever lived said this, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Never rely on what you think you know. Remember the Lord in everything you do and he will show you the right way. When he says never rely on what you think you know, many versions say, do not lean on your own understanding. That means the conclusions that are based primarily on your perceptions. Because what the wisest man who ever lived is trying to tell us is that our own understanding simply will not bear the weight of reality. It was never intended to. Go back to the Garden of Eden. And, and it's so interesting to me. Adam and Eve, as as the story is unfolding. They're told they can eat of any tree in the garden except one. Now, I would have thought the tree they couldn't eat of would be the tree of life because later it says you eat of that tree and you live forever. But that wasn't, God didn't begrudge them life. He said there's only one tree I don't want you to eat from. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why, why would he say that? It was as if God was saying... If you eat of that one tree, you'll be saying to me, God, I'm smarter than you, God. I'm more authoritative than you. I'm wiser than you. I think I can care for myself better than you care for me. You're not a very good father, and so I'm going to reject you. But he says, instead, don't eat from that tree. Keep submitting to my will, to my understanding, to my wisdom. Keep on being thankful for my generosity. And keep on eating from all these other trees they're all yours. You see, God knew something that Adam and Eve didn't know to, to handle the knowledge of good and evil, one must possess some things first, the ability to comprehend all possible options and contingencies that would be omniscience you know you, you have to understand everything that could happen. second, the righteousness and wisdom to Choose the right course every time if you know the knowledge of good and evil. And three, the power to make reality conform to the right course. That's omnipotence. And so basically what he's saying is only God can handle such knowledge. This is not for you to handle. You know, what Solomon is saying, the wisest man who ever lived all these years later, he's saying... It's not the one who trusts in the Lord that's irrational. It's the one who leans on their own understanding. It's insane to trust such pitifully limited understanding when one can trust the unlimited understanding of God. So many of the things that cause us the most difficulty, the most heartache in life, so much of our anxiety, our fear, our doubt, our anger with others, with God, is the result of leaning on our own Understanding And God doesn't want us to be miserable. Even in this fallen, futility-infected age, he wants to relieve our anxiety. And so he gives us this precious gift. Don't lean on your own understanding. Acknowledge me. Look at my ways. We're not setting aside our intellect. We're resting our intellect upon the intellect of God. And that's a... A whole different thing. Nothing is wiser. Nothing is saner than that. And it preserves for us all of the pleasures. That God intended us to have in this world. And without it. We don't know how to experience. We keep falling into the evil side of things. And that's a whole different thing. Let me just give you another one of God's principles. He says this in 1 Timothy 6.17. Command those Who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Maybe you never heard that before, but if you had money in the stock market 10 years ago, right? 11 years ago, 12 years ago, you know what that means. I I had invested heavily in uh, real estate REITs. You know, which was great because they dropped in half like overnight. It was the most amazing, wonderful feeling in the pit of my stomach. You know, and, and say, so, okay, I'm going to get to retire in, you know, 2080 or something like that. You know, but, but the, the thing is, it feels like that a little bit. I mean, if you, some of you are watching the stock market right now, you know, and it's like this roller coaster ride. So you said, I'm gonna get out of the stock market. I'm gonna invite, I'm gonna invest in something really stable like Bitcoin or something, right? No, it's just like, you know, so you're just what do you do in a in a time like this? If your heart's so wrapped up, if your computer, you know, is following that every day. The Bible asks us to store up for a rainy day, and we should, but God didn't ask us to bend our lives and our hearts out of shape to gain perfect security for tomorrow in money. In fact, He says, it's really uncertain. Did you get that? See, God kind of knew something. He knew that we're either gonna trust him for tomorrow or we're gonna trust what we can try to put together for ourselves. And things used to be a lot more stable. used to, you know, we thought things were really true. Like you say, you put your money in your house, right? And it just keeps going up and up and up and up until it doesn't anymore, right? And, And it seems like it's doing it again, but what's gonna happen? God says, trust me every day. And that's the way I want it. I want you to trust me. Don't put your trust in that. Don't let your heart get wrapped around that. Because it's going to be all over the place. But put your trust in me. One of the interesting verses, a set of verses that I found is in Hebrews 12, 26 and 27. When we're talking about how God sees the world. It's talking about when God spoke and gave Moses the the, the Ten Commandments up on Sinai. He was speaking out loud. And the people down below could hear him. It sounded like thunder, it says. And they were freaked out. They were scared. Listen to what it says. The earth was rocked at the sound of his voice from the mountain. But now he has promised once and for all I will not only shake the systems of the world. But also the unseen powers in the heavenly realm. Now this phrase once and for all clearly indicates the final removal of things that are shaking—that is the old world order. So only what is unshakable will remain. Have you put your heart around unshakable things, or are you involved in things that are gonna crash and burn? It, this is a prophecy from the book of Haggai in the Old Testament, and what he said there he says once for all here, but he said yet once. More. What does that mean? That means that there's one more big shaking coming. Do you know that, right? He's going to remove all the things that can be shaken. The only thing that's going to be left, eternal things. In fact, in the book of Revelation, it talks a little bit about it. And it, Revelation's hard to understand. You know, I always think it's funny these pastors and others who think they've got it down. You know, this is exactly what's going to happen. You know, and it looks like this and this and this. I I don't understand a lot of it. But I do know that in several places it says like, you know, God's going to just like roll up the whole universe kind of like an old scroll. And it's going to be wiped out, leaving only what's eternal. In Revelation 21, 1, John says, I looked again and what did I see? I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. I mean, that's like died, right? <laughs> you know, what do you say? Someone passed away. It's like, that's gone. Are you so involved in the things that are gonna be dying out or passing away according to God's understanding that we get so involved in that and it doesn't really make sense. So our reality map is off. We've got to decide, God, I believe what you're saying and I want to, put my heart and wrap my heart and my mind and what I do around these things that are going to last forever. A second thing I want you to see is we don't only need a, a really good reality map. We need a divine guide and guard. It says in Deuteronomy way back in the Old Testament, the Lord himself will go before you. He will not leave you or forget you. So don't be afraid and don't worry. It reminds me of a time when Moses was up on that mountain, getting the Ten Commandments, he was gone for a long time. And the people thought, oh, he's dead. I mean, all that weird stuff going on up there. And so they made themselves this little golden calf, an idol, that was kind of like what the Egyptians worshipped. And they began to worship it and all kinds of like some of the worship of the Egyptians, which involves sexuality and a lot of other things. And And Moses comes down. God is angry and uh Moses throws those 10 commandments that God wrote with his hand and they break all over the place because he's so angry. And God says to Moses, I can't even go up with this people. I'm not going to go up with this people from here. They're, they're, they're too willful. They're too sinful. They turn their back on me at every chance they get. And I'll send an angel before you and the angel will go to prepare a place, you know, as you go to the promised land. Well, I mean, if God told me an angel, I think that's pretty cool, you know, an angel. But Moses, he's got good insight. He says, God, if you don't go, if you just send an angel, but your presence doesn't go with us, just let this be our grave right here. You might as well just kill us and, and, and take us on to heaven because it's not going to be worthwhile if you don't go with us. And these are some of the promises that God gave after that, that I'm going to go with you. I won't leave you. I won't forget you. I won't forsake you Isaiah the great prophet said this for the Lord will go before you and the God of Israel will be your rear guard that's pretty cool before and behind that's one of my wife's favorite verses back you know when she had rectal cancer those years ago she said look at this I just got a verse he's going to be my rear guard (laughs) and that was awesome really you know He's going to guard my rear. But here's the thing. God did it. And and God, you know, she's been cancer free for over 10 years now. He doesn't always work that way. You can clap for that. I'm excited she's here. I mean, there's like a 50-50 chance that she wasn't going to be here, the doctor said. And, and, And she's with us and healthy. And I know God chooses different ways to do that sometimes. He doesn't always do that. Sometimes he says, I'm ready. I got a job for you to do in heaven. Come on up. But I think she still had a little bit more to do. Probably mostly had to do with me, you know. (laughs) That boy still needs some work. You better stay down there and help him, you know. So I I just, you know, I I think about life and what matters and what counts. It's complex, isn't it? It doesn't seem to be getting any simpler. It it seems to be getting more complex, more confusing. One of the things that is confusing, I, I mean, it's like every day it's like a new Day. technology's changing. I mean, if you've got teenagers now, and they're dealing with stuff that you didn't have to deal with as a teenager. You say, well, I dealt with some, yeah, but not like that, right? I mean, it's not like you could just access it on, you know, uh, on the phone and, and get into just about any terrible thing that you want to, right? I, I don't even know, I was thinking, man, I would be a really messed up 15-year-old today, you know, if I had a phone and all that. But we, we get scared about those things. But here's the amazing thing about God. He's not scared about the future. And he loves us and he loves our kids. In fact there's a really interesting verse that the Pharisees came to Jesus in John 8 and and they said to him, you know, who do you think you are? And Jesus said to them, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And, and, And he was happy about it. And they're going like, you're not even like 30 years old. Abraham was thousands of years ago what are you even talking about and then Jesus says in John eight fifty eight, I tell you the solemn truth before Abraham was before there ever was an Abraham I am and the Jews they picked up like stones to stone him because they said he's blaspheming he used the name of God that God gave to Moses at the burning bush when Moses said who will I tell them sent me he said tell them I am that I am the big sense of that is that God lives in the present all the time. He, he you see when you are worried about tomorrow God's already in tomorrow because time is just one of his creations. Just like you are. When he created us, he created this little bubble and he called it time and he stuck us in it. Because God's not in that. He's outside of that. In fact, the tomorrow that you're scared about God's already sitting there waiting. Every morning when you wake up, he's been sitting there waiting to welcome you into that day. Welcome into the day. I've already been here. I already know what's going on. Little child of mine, I welcome you into this day with me. We can trust him. Trust him. In fact, some of the things that he says, I will provide for their needs before they ask. I will help them while they're still asking for help. Another thing, Jesus said, don't be troubled. You trust God, trust me. In fact, ultimately, the place that I've got for you, there are many rooms in my Father's house. I'm going to prepare a place for you. I love that verse. Even when we die, he's working on some things. He's preparing. If you're a believer and you stepped into this journey with him, he's been preparing your room. I mean, it's not gonna be like a cookie-cutter Mansion for you in heaven, right? In fact, it's interesting because this is a good translation. We always say there are many. In my father's house, there are many mansions. It's really not It's many rooms. My father's got a big house, and I got a special room just for you, and I'm preparing it. And, you know, I was at the HEB the other day, and I saw some flowers that I thought, oh, those are Laura's colors. She would love this, and she'll love this. And I bought those for her and took it home. She did. She loved it. But that's what Jesus is doing all the time with your room. He's thinking, Oh i gonna love this. I need to go ask Chip and Joanna. I think they would really like this, you know. I think, you know, we'll just kind of magnolia it up, right? And, 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 and so there's this whole sense of like, God's preparing your room, especially for you, knowing what you love. When you get there and he opens the door, you're gonna go like, oh, wow, this is great. 400 dogs, I love dogs, you know, I don't know. <laughs> 400 cats, that's hell, but um. <clears> that's <throat> a whole other thing number three a friend that sticks closer than a brother that's another thing we need in our survival kit it's pretty tough finding friends these days have you found that out and there listen to what Proverbs 18 24 says there are friends who pretend to be friends you ever had one of those but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother he's really talking about Jesus again talking about God again There's there's a friend that you can count on that's not gonna leave you behind. In fact, Hebrews 13, five and six, God says this, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we may say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? See, I think God knew that we're going to put our confidence in something, right? And a lot of us we're trying to build up this giant wall of money around us to protect us and our family and God says that's not very certain. That could be gone tomorrow. That could the Fed could say something, you know, and it's gone. That's not very certain. I want you to hold my hand. I want you to trust me. And that's where we find where God is. I think it's important because Even, he says, I'll never forsake you. And one of the sad realities of life is that as time passes, as we grow older, people are going to leave you. David, King David said, my mother and my father have forsaken me. But God has gotten hold of me. God has got me. Now, if you read the history of it, his parents didn't say, I reject you, I'm leaving you. No, he just meant they died. They didn't want to forsake me. They, they didn't mean to forsake me, but that's how it works in this time bubble of ours. They got older and older and they died. You know, my, my dad was supposed to preach next week, uh, but he fell out in the, uh, on the stairs, out in the hallway out here. And um, so he, he's hurt himself and, and he's not gonna be able to do it um, because he was gonna preach his last sermon. He said, this is gonna be my last sermon. And um, I, we're trying to invite, you know, all the family and everybody and here at 83 to hear his last sermon. So we're going to put it off a little bit longer, okay? And I'll tell you when it's coming, so you will be ready, all right? You know, I had him preach when he was 80, what I've learned in 80 years. I said, I want you to preach on what I've learned in 80 years. He goes, oh, man, that's going to be short, you know? And uh, <laughs> I love that guy. But he'll be doing that pretty soon for us. But it just reinforced to me, it's like my best friend... All down through these years, I don't know how much he might, he might forsake me soon. I, that's gonna be hard. That's gonna be difficult. That's gonna be hard to even think about, you know? But people move away, people die. Some people are gonna get mad at you and just walk out of your life. Uh, I, I mean, that's gonna happen. It's a fact of life. But God says, I'll never leave you, I'll always. Be with you. I will never leave you. Some of you think when you fall on your face that, oh, God's gone. He's left. He's disappointed. You know, I used to pray when I would, like, fall on my face. I would go, oh, God, I'm so sorry I let you down. Until one day, it's almost like I heard him say, little boy, you ain't holding me up. You didn't let me down. I'm still here. I haven't moved. I'm not in some other place. I'm right here. Get up. Dust yourself off. Let me help you. Let's go, you know. And that's one of our deepest fears is the fear of abandonment. I've been there as a pastor. I've been there when a husband walked out and I've talked and the wife's going, how am I gonna do this, Mark? You know, I've been there when a spouse died suddenly and the other spouse is going like, I don't know how to do this now. I don't know how to navigate this now. And some of you, you had some of your, your kids, maybe you just empty nested or, or they're gone off to college, your first one feels weird, doesn't it? It's like, you can't be that old. That's not even right. And and I remember all of those things. And it's like, but God's going, I'll be here. I will be here. I am here for you. When you go through deep waters and great trouble, I will be with you. I love that verse. When you go through deep waters and great trouble, I will be with you. He didn't say, if you go through, did he? See, that's the thing. We've got to get our reality map right. Oh, I'm tr- coming to God. And so he's going to keep me from all these. He didn't say that. He says, when you go through, I'll be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. Notice you go through them. You don't stay in them. One of the great things that my dad told me one time. He says, when you're walking through hell, keep walking, right? That's pretty deep, isn't it? You know, when you're going through tough times, another thing he would always say, it says in the Bible all the time, this too shall pass, you know? And, uh, and it's, it's come to pass is another thing that it says there. But it says the flames will not consume you. In your future, you're gonna face some deep waters. I'm going under for the last time. You're gonna get burned sometimes, but God is saying, I'm gonna be there. You don't have to be alone. In fact, you aren't alone. I'll never leave you. One of my favorite passages is in Isaiah 46. It says, it is you, not I, who've been carried from before you were born. Indeed, when you were still in the womb, I was taking care of you. And when you are old, I will still be there carrying you. When your limbs grow tired, your eyes are weak, and your hair is gone, Oh, wait, didn't say that. <laughs> when your beard is a silvery gray, I will carry you as I always have. I will carry you and save you. God's good. Doesn't always feel that way. You know, when we sing that song, you know, you're never gonna let me down. I always think if we don't have our reality maps right, we've already thought, oh no, you're let me down. You let me down a lot, you know. It's like, no, he doesn't. If we could understand what he's doing, but we can't a lot of the time. And then I want you to put this one last thing in your survival kit. A family I can depend on no matter what. A family I can depend on no matter what. We know and to some extent realize the love of God for us because Christ expressed it in laying down his life for us. We must in turn express our love by laying down our lives for those who are our brothers and sisters. That brothers is inclusive. But as for the well-to-do man who sees his brothers in want, but shuts his eyes and his heart, how could anyone believe that the love of God lives in him? My children, let us not love merely in theory or in words. Let us love in sincerity and in practice. See, I don't know what the future holds, but if you study history, you find that the church shines brightest when the world is the shakiest and the darkest. And conversely, you'll find that when untested, unpersecuted, when part of the powerful majority, when rich, the church grows complacent, lazy, overfed, self-serving, selfishly preoccupied. You see the future. I don't know what it holds, but it could be our finest hour because we love one another, not just in theory. Think with me. What if the worst comes? What if the very worst comes? It might come, if it comes to you personally, do you have church family around you? Let's imagine across the board the unthinkable happens and it's the greatest depression. Not just a great depression, but unemployment soaring up to 30, 40%. You know, 40% declaring bankruptcy. What will we do? What, what will we do? Maybe you're a guest here this morning and you're coming To this church as a guest. And we welcome you. But let me tell you. This isn't a country club. This is a tight knit family. And we've been going for 16 years. And we're just starting to move into what God has for us. And I want you to be part of that. As we grow together. As we pray together. As we are there for each other's children. And as we're there in all of the hard times. Visiting in the hospital. And and, and to be here for each other when it all hits the fan even. We'll make our way forward together. And and what we'll be doing is what the Bible says. We'll lay down our lives for each other. Christians have been doing this for 2,000 years. I would always read as a teenager the book of Acts, chapter 2, 3, 4. And I was always amazed at how they came together. And I was going, God, do that again. But then I realized there's this extreme pressure on the outside. There's tremendous persecution. Nero is lining the Appian Way with thousands of crosses and he's crucifying Christians on them and putting them up in flames to light the way to Rome. I mean, that's what's going on in that time. And they're there for each other and they care about each other. And everybody outside goes, look how they love each other. Look how they love. Because, you know, when others are like grabbing their guns and hoarding their food and all that, we'll be a giant family together sharing and Bringing people in and making a difference. What can turn our hearts outward in a crisis? Only God. And they'll say, what's going on with these people? Galatians 6, two says, carry each other's burdens and so live out the law of Christ. It'll be an opportunity to show off God. Listen to Acts. The whole congregation of believers was united. One heart, one mind. They didn't even claim ownership of their own possessions. No one said, that's mine, you can't have it. They shared everything. The apostles Gave powerful witness to the resurrection of the master Jesus. And grace was on all of them. And so it turned out that not a person among them was needy. Those who owned fields or houses sold them and brought the price of the sale to the apostles and made an offering of it. The apostles distributed it according to each person's need. God's got us. I want you just to close your eyes for a minute with me, okay? Just just you and God. How's your reality map? Has it been kind of caught up in in, in these changeable things that are all over the place? Or do you have God's hand, the great unchangeable one who says, I'll never leave you, little girl. I'll never forsake you. I'll never leave you, my son. I'll never forsake you." you. Say, but God, I just fell on my face again. Well, get up. Let's dust ourselves off and come on. Let's go. You're learning how to walk. You're doing good, let's go. And that's what we do for each other. Would you just tell God right now, I do commit to you full out, God. Show me what I need to do next, next steps, even in this church family, what needs to happen next so I'm ready for whatever the future holds. Just tell him that, just ask him that. Now I want you to look back up here for just a minute. We have this thing called starting point, And that's really the starting point. We make it, we're make, trying to make it really easy. And that's one of the things we've learned. We had, used to have all these places you know, to try to get started. How do I do this? Well, it's start in one place. And our staff will follow you through. And make sure that you get plugged in to the things that you want to get plugged into. It ha- it, there's a starting point class on Saturday night. Before the service, there's a starting point class that's going on right now. And it happens every week. And you'll find out all about it. You can sign up at the information desk, okay? I want you to do that. Another thing, some of you, you've been telling me you wanna be baptized. So I'm gonna go get back out in the pool again today. We've baptized 100 or so in the last several weeks. And some of you are going like, I know I need to do it, but I didn't do it. We're gonna baptize after both services today, okay? You can go to the information booth and you can get your you know, your shorts, your T-shirt so that you're ready. Or you can just go in in the clothes you got. That's fine with me, all right? And you'll dry out in about five minutes in the sun, you know? But so God's got some good stuff. I wasn't planning on baptizing today, but my friend Justin from the gym talked me into baptizing his family today right after this service. And, uh, you know, if you're at the gym, you can talk me into anything just about. So... I'm excited to do that, but I will baptize you too. I want to do that. Let's, let's do this together. Just go to the information desk. Say, give me that little packet and then go get changed and I'll meet you out in the pool in the front. Let's be a family together. It was one of Laura's and my dreams forever. Let me, let me bless you before you go. Father, you know that Laura and I used to pray. Give us what we've always dreamed church could be and let it be that for everyone around us and let us move into that even through the rest of this year and next year. Whatever the future holds Bring us together as a really tight-knit family and let us be what you're asking us to be. And I thank you, God. I thank you for what you're gonna do. Come kingdom of God upon us. Be done will of God in us and let nothing stop what you have for us as we step in full out to you. And let our hearts be at peace because you're there already tomorrow to welcome us into that new day. And we love you for that. Amen.